Okay, I'm going to pray for us and we'll get started. Um, Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that your faithfulness is new every morning and your faithfulness is just so good to us, Lord. And we, we give you all the praise and we pray that you would write these things upon our hearts. For we live in a tumultuous world and um, we just need you to uh, be near to our hearts and that we, you would give us great faith to believe your promises. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, just something, I'm going to tell you a few things not to do um, if you're teaching a class on worry. So, one is that your daughter doesn't get married the weekend before. That's, that's one thing. And the other thing is that you do, well, there's three things. You, you're not taking, you're not kind of, as I told Ada, being a sheriff and a cook for an 18-year-old. And the last thing is you do not drive from Dallas the morning that you're going to teach. So all of those things are to say, who knows what this is going to say. So anyway, so um, in the handout, some of you received, when we first came back from Christmas break, I think that was five weeks ago, um, I handed out a, a, just a summary that I plagiarized from Dr. Lloyd-Jones in his introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And the part that I, that I copied in it, I think he showed rather convincingly that one way to kind of have a broad understanding of the Sermon on the Mount is by, by looking at the big themes within the different chapter divisions. So there's a big theme in chapter 5, there's a big theme in chapter 6, and there's a big theme in chapter 7. Of course, they're all under the same umbrella of Christ's teaching, but, but they have these big themes. And I'm not going to go into what all those divisions are, but we're going to, for our purpose today, we are going to um, talk about the, the overriding theme of chapter 6. And uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones said that he believes that the overriding theme of chapter 6 is living all of, the life, all of our life in the presence of God as our Father. Now, that doesn't seem like an astonishing thing, but he just says that that is the big theme, and you can kind of begin to think about that. It's been so helpful to me as I have uh, been preparing for this, as I've lived through this past few weeks. Um, first of all, keeping that in mind, it can keep you tethered to the text of what's going on in chapter 6, and there's a lot going on. And I think chapter 6 can seem a bit scattered unless you have this cohesive thing that's kind of pulling it all together. But more importantly is I think that having the idea that we're always in the presence of our loving Heavenly Father keeps us tethered to that reality that is so important as we live life in this world. And so um, I'm just going to do a brief over, overview of bringing these things together, and this will just take a second. But the first part of chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, very broadly describes the Christian's private religious life. And um, in there, it is talking about such things as giving, praying, fasting, and forgiveness, but there's all kinds of things. So that's 
that is the big thing. And doing these things as in the presence of God our Father makes a difference how we do them. Or you can do them before men and with a hypocritical heart. So it's you can either do them as a, as you can be doing these things as before your heavenly Father and doing them with adoration and worship, or you can do them with a hypocritical heart. And one commentator said, the hypocrite gives God what the flesh can spare. I love that. The hypocrite gives God what the flesh can spare. So that's kind of what's going on in chapter uh, in verses 1 through 18, and it's keeping that idea that the things that we're doing as we worship God, it is always for him. It is always to bring him adoration. When we give, we are giving so he will receive the glory. When we're praying, we're praying because we want to pour out our needs and our praise and all of those before them. And we don't want to give just a little bit. We want to give all that we are. So that's that's the first part. That's the 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 living our religious the religious life before him. The second half of uh, chapter 6 is in verses 19 through 34. And this concerns the Christian living life in the public sphere. It's how do we live our life day to day as we are coming and going. So last week, Sarah did this beautiful job of unfolding verses 19 through 24 when she, she talked about the big idea of what our treasures are. In other words, what does our heart love? And so if you kind of look at these, there's kind of three different scenarios that in, this, in the passage that she talked on, there are three, three different scenarios, and Jesus is saying you've got to make a choice about each one of these. You have to make a choice about whom you will serve. And the first concerns possessions or treasures, and God said you have to choose the things you will treasure. Will they be things in heaven or will they be things on earth? And what you choose will affect the way you live. Your treasure, where your treasure is, your heart will be. And so this is just another reminder. You, you cannot have a divided heart. When you are making these choices, you cannot. And Psalm 86, 11 says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And so the question is, are you going to place your hope and the things here are your hope in heaven. And then comes the question of how do we see the world? How do we, how do we understand the world? Is it through God's perspective, through his world, through his, his word, or is it through the world's perspective? Do we have our eyes filled with light or with darkness? That's what's being talked about here. It's, it's where, is your, where is your gaze? Is it on heaven? Is, do you have this unwavering gaze on heaven? Or is your, are you divided with your eyes here and your eyes in heaven? And so Jesus is calling us to make a choice. Where will you keep your gaze? And then finally, there was this idea of which master will you serve? Will it be God or money? And you cannot serve both because one will capture your heart. And so these things, it's about treasure, it's about truth, it's about stability. And Jesus is calling us and he's telling us we have to make these choices because we cannot serve both. In, in both spheres, whether it's private or public, we will hear the same insistent summons from Jesus. And what he is calling us to, it is this call to be different as we live life in this fallen world, different from the hypocrisy of the religious, 
and different from the materialism and other worldly concerns of public life that bind us to this world instead of keeping our eye that we are always before our Father in heaven. So make a wise choice is what Jesus has told us. And now we're going to come to our passage for today. So why did we go over all that? Well, the reason is because our passage for today begins with the word therefore. In fact, there are three therefores in the passage for day for today. And what, what is going on? It's kind of like Jesus is presenting his case. He's presenting why you want to why you should make the choice that he's talking about. And so as he is going here, Jesus is telling us that if we have made the right choice, if our heart is firmly planted in trusting in the faithfulness of God, we have no need to worry. There is no need to worry. He says, you do not have to be anxious. In fact, he says, don't be anxious. And he is telling us that because we have put all that we are in the hands of the Father, worry is not to be our concern. It is to be his concern because we are held in his hands. Doesn't mean that hard things won't come. It's just saying that God knows exactly what he's doing. Now, I have to tell you, as I've told you at the outset, I'm found guilty right there. I mean, I I realize how often I have been worrying about things that have been going on. And it's hard for me to imagine not worrying because when things like this come up, my heart automatically goes to worry. How about you? I mean, we have women in this room who are struggling with deep health issues. We have women who are struggling with children who are unbelievers. We have women whose marriages seem to be falling apart and women whose marriages have fallen apart. There are hard things going on in our church. And Jesus is telling us everything is okay. He's saying, you don't have to worry. And I want to say, but Jesus, it doesn't feel okay. It doesn't feel like that. And he's saying, if you have put your faith in God, if you have trusted him, he is your Abba Father, and you don't need to worry. So in our passage for today, as Jesus encourages us as to why we do not need to worry, he begins with just the basics in life. As he builds this case, and he says, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. And he says, life is more than those things. Now, he's not saying those things aren't important or aren't necessary because he says even the birds need those things. But he's saying, think, think. You, are you not more valuable than the birds and, God's take care, and God takes care of them? And he's just building this case as it builds up. And then he said something that I, I had to laugh about because essentially the next thing Jesus says is he says, don't worry because what good does worry do anyway? Worry does nothing. Worry changes nothing. When we worry, when worry comes up, that what it should do is to drive us to the feet of Jesus. That's what worry should do. When you feel that worry coming on and it comes on and it comes on, it should just drive you to the feet of Jesus. That's where we should lay our burdens down because worry does nothing. It doesn't solve anything. And we should go to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know where to go with this. I don't know what to do with this sadness in my life. I don't know what to do with this struggle in my life. 
If we worry, we're just left at the end with the way we started in the beginning. But going to Jesus can change everything. Even in the most difficult things in life, Jesus tells us, do not worry, just come to me. You are in the presence of your heavenly Father. And so, as Jesus continues with his teaching of the lesser to the greater, he says, look at the lilies of the field and their beauty. And they do nothing to make themselves beautiful, and God provides it all. He provides the seed, the soil, the sun, the rain. And then he says they are essentially just grass anyway. They're here today and gone tomorrow. Think, how much more does God care about you? And you see, here Jesus is beginning as, that, as he's building his case. He is beginning, he's getting now into our problem because what does he say next? He says, oh, you of little faith. That's it, isn't it? I mean, when we worry, what is it? It's a sign that our faith is little. It's a sign that we are living too much caught up in the worries of this world and not thinking about the purposes that God may have for us. It's a sign that things are that we are trying to fix things in our own power. And again, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we wear? What shall we drink? What shall we eat? For even the Gentiles seek after these things. The pagans, the pagans worry about these things, but let the pagans worry. Why are you worrying? Why, why are you worrying when your heavenly Father knows that you need these things? He is the creator God, the infinite Almighty, omniscient God. Think about that and seek first, Jesus says, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. You see, that's the line of demarcation. Everything is about that. In reality, everything is about that. You have to make that choice. Where is your heart? Either you are living your life knowing that you are always in the presence and the care of God your Father, or you are living life adrift. And of course, we all fall into that. But God is just saying, but Jesus is just saying, keep coming back to that promise. Keep coming back to who you are. Keep coming back. You've made that choice. Keep coming back to him. Keep your eyes on your heavenly father who rules all things, both great great and small, and find your rest in that. You already are in his kingdom now, and his eye is on you. Come and drink of his promises. Come and put your anchor down there. Do you see, I, as I was doing, studying this, and I just, I realized that how often I go to God and I pray, and then I take everything back and do it myself. And I just, I, I just wondered, I, <laughs> I practiced this on the way from Dallas and just trying to be calm and, and trying to just take these things. And I, and I just, it was just so funny how I just kept going back to the worry that I have instead of just trusting him. And what Jesus is telling us is, you know what faith is? Faith is receiving. Faith is just receiving everything God has to give. Faith isn't giving. It's just a thing of receiving. And, and Jesus wants us to understand that. Jesus is telling us that that is where our eye is. Our eye is on God and his promises. 
He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and hope. That's the promise. Now, I have to, I have to tell you that I would be remiss if I did not address this very difficult reality, and that is that God's people suffer. They suffer in horrific ways sometimes. We know the stories about the good things. We love those stories. The stories of remarkable provision. I mean, George Mueller, you can read his, some of his uh, remarkable miracles that have come to him, and they're wonderful. And those things so often happen from God's hands. I mean, we've all had surprising answers to prayer. Just surprising. They just, they kind of, I think we're so surprised because we just aren't always looking for them. But when they come, they're just such a surprise. They're such a gift. But sometimes God's children have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And then the rescue comes. And sometimes in this life, there is no rescue. We just have to say that. Martyrs died. Martyrs continue to die. But you see, that is the case that Jesus is building. He is preparing for the final reason why you have no reason to worry. It wouldn't come for a few more years, but the answer would come. And it's the one that was sitting that day, there that day on the mount teaching his disciples the one who, in a very short, few short years, would hang on a cross, and he would be without clothing, and he would be thirsting. He is the one in whose righteousness we are clothed. He is the one who paid our debt in full and bore our sin in his body as he hung on that tree. He is the one who suffered the full wrath of God in our place so we don't have to. He is the one who had always, from eternity, been before his father's face, and on that day, his father turned his face away, and he will never turn his face away from us because of that. He is the one who conquered death and rose again from the tomb, as we will rise again. He is the one in whose book our names are written, never to be erased again, because he wrote them there with his own blood. He is the one in whom all of God's promises are yes and amen. He is the one who is coming again, and in the blink of an eye, all of our sad things will come untrue. As Jesus sat there that day teaching, he was teaching his disciples about kingdom living, and they didn't know at that point the cost of what that meant, and most certainly they didn't know the glory of the promise standing before them, but we do. He is our great high priest. And in Hebrews, it says, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he is one whom in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. That is why we are not to worry. The meaning of the word worry carries this main thought. Worry is something that draws us in a different direction, something that distracts. It's a, to have a distracting care. The point is that worry distracts us from turning to God. It makes us turn away to a different direction. Rather than to run into the Father's 
carrying arms, we go in a different direction. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as our forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever and ever according to the order of Melchizedek. When we were studying Hebrews three years ago, I read a commentary on that verse that has stayed with me, and here's what it said. The anchor in which we have put our hope will hold us in any storm. I love that. There are going to be hard things that we are going to want to worry about. Not everything is going to be lilies in the field, but he has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. One year ago today, um, not today, one year ago in a month, my dad died. And... um, just before he died, I was staying with him, and my dad had always been a strong, independent man, and um, he was just this little frail thing that I could lift out of bed into his wheelchair. And one morning I w- walked in, and he was sitting there, and he had this look of confusion and sadness on his face, and I said, Daddy, what's wrong? And he said, um, Terry, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. And I took his hand and I said, Daddy, I know you don't. I said, but Jesus is getting ready to take you to heaven. And I said, you can go there if you just put all of your hope in him. If you just put everything that you have and trust him and cling to Jesus, you have nothing you can give him, but he has everything to give you. And I said, just cling to him, and he'll help see you through. And he said to me, I believe that. And I said, Daddy, I believe that too. Now, I need to tell you, I don't know that that was my dad's true heart because he would go in and out of these things. But I look at that as a gift from the Lord to just say there's hope. With Jesus, there is always hope. And we are thankful for that. And we can put our trust in him. He says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled. Let me pray for us. Father, um, you are so amazing in your love for us. And we have nothing to give you, and you have everything to give us. Oh, Lord, make us run to you with our troubles and let us lay our burdens down there. 
And Lord, we thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ is at your right hand, and even now he is interceding for us. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.